Hey, Andrew. Hey, Greg. Today is Thursday, January 25th, 2018. What have you been up to these last two weeks? Ooh, I've been up to a lot, actually. So the first thing I want to talk about is I've been semi-catching up on Faulty. I said that for a couple times the past few episodes, but I've actually really been doing it this time. And I finally got to the point where I feel like I could confidently watch Crisis on Earth X, which was the big DC crossover this year. All D- the, from DC the CW. CW shows. Yeah. Um, and so last year they did this whole like alien invasion dominator storyline, which was, I mean, so there's four shows on the DCCW, right? There's Supergirl, Arrow, Flash, and Legends of Tomorrow. And the crossover last year was like a 30 second of Supergirl and then Flash and Arrow and then maybe half of a Legends episode. But this year they said, fuck it. We're going to take all four of the episodes and turn it into essentially a four hour movie. (laughs) And I can't say you could watch it without knowing anything about the shows because there's a lot of like, you know, interpersonal things that happen that you lose some context on. But A, it is some straight up comic book <laughs> bullshit nonsense. The basic premise is, uh, so uh, Barry Allen and uh, his wife or his fiance are getting married. Barry Allen is Flash for those uh, unfamiliar. They're getting married. And the second they were, the ceremony starts with, with all the characters from all the shows are attending the wedding because of course they are. Uh, invaders from Earth X attack the wedding. And Earth X is the 53rd Earth where the Nazis won war- World War II. And then from there, it just spirals out of complete control. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but all, all things t- taken together, there is some stuff that makes no sense, but it is a lot of fun. And you're watching your heroes and like they pull in every hero and every villain from every season of everyone that show and just shove it into four hours and it is (laughs) a spectacle that is fun and some of the effects actually they put a lot of money into this and actually behind the scenes they were saying that this was really hard to film it took like three or four weeks which in tv time is yeah a long long time and like we we can't like unless they're gonna like give us a bunch more money and like break up the seasons more we can't do this again because it was absurd (laughs) and it was it was a lot of fun it was goofy. It was kind of silly, but it was a lot of fun. That's the first thing I've been into. I got a list. <laughs> uh, I The other thing, so I, I really only caught up on like Flash, but I also caught up on Supernatural season 13. Uh, and the, what I want to talk about is how the season's been pretty good so far, actually, surprisingly. I don't know of any show that's ever been good in its 13th season. Maybe The Simpsons at some point. I don't know. Mm, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> Not Season nine was pretty much the uh, the high water mark there. All right, uh, but they had their um, after the the mid season break, they had their spinoff pilot for their new series called Wayward Sisters, which I sisters which I've discussed before, which is sort of a couple of side character female side characters that are sort of banding together to make a new series. And unlike the last backdoor pilot they had for that some stupid Chicago. CW teen bullshit. This was actually pretty cool. Uh, they so Supernatural is known for having a lot of you know like dad rock. Like <laughs> I mean, they're 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 two brothers in flannel shirts and bootcut dream 
jeans who drive around listening to like Leonard Skinner and things like that uh, in a, you know, I don't know what kind of car it is because I'm not a car person, but you know, 69, whatever. But they updated the music to be a little bit more like, not like too hip, but just like, that makes sense. And uh, the girls, it's it's like a, a two older women and then like three, you know, late teens, early 20s kind of thing. And uh, it actually was, was pretty good. I was surprised. Huh. So I'm hoping that that show actually pans out because I really like the leads in it and it was fun. That was surprising, to say the least. The third thing I've been into, uh, Greg, you play some board games, right? Um, not as much as some of my peers. Uh, that's that's one of the things that um, kind of had to go <laughs> when the kids showed up. Fair enough. Fair enough. Have you heard of Pandemic before? I have heard of such a thing, yes. So there is a Pandemic kind of normal version, casual version, if you will. And then have you heard of Pandemic Legacy? Uh, I don't know. So... Pandemic Legacy is a one-time playthrough board game. How how do you mean? So you get the box. It's like $80 or something ridiculous. And it pulls the same mechanics from the regular Pandemic board game, which is a sort of, it's, it's cooperative. Uh, the setting is the world. There are multiple outbreaks of different epidemics, and you're trying to, you know, cure them and save the world, essentially. What Pandemic Legacy is, it is this design that is 12 months. Each month is maybe two hours or so. And it is a one-time playthrough board game, which means that you rip up cards, you put huh. stickers on the board, you write on things. And it is a you know a year playthrough of you trying to get through this situation uh, with huh. a group of friends. It's all cooperative. And uh, we are, um, my group has just finished August. So you're more than halfway through. More than halfway through. And it's sort of self-correcting in that you can't really like lose. Like if you lose a month, you retry it, but there's some penalties and some positives. You get some, you got to get handed some gimmies on some things, but the the negative effects of the world, like if a city falls, if, if London falls, it's gone forever. Uh, so I guess it's possible that you could like just lose everything eventually, but huh. the game is sort of self-balancing in that way. Uh, I will say that eighty dollars is steep for a one-time one th run-through game. I mean, you figure if you're getting twenty-four hours of playtime out of it, though, for a group, how big is a group? Uh, I think you can play minimum two or three, maximum five. All right, so let's say four people, eighty bucks. That's twenty dollars a person. You're playing it's a, it's a dollar an hour. That's a that's a good deal. And that that's like if you're good. You know, if you if you lose a month, then you restart it and you're back, yeah. you know, so we've only lost one month so far, actually, which has been now we started trying to power game like, well, if we strategically lose this month, what benefits mm -hmm. do we get in the next month? But I, I was like, I was the voice of reason like, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> That's not the spirit of the game. Right. But I would really recommend uh, season two. There's like a, a new season, a new year hmm. uh, just came out. It's a it's a pretty popular game. And. It's a lot of fun. I mean, every month you get to like, you know what I mean when I say like advent calendar boards that have like little cardboard cutouts yeah. that you pull down. Like there's like 10 of those. And like every month you pull off and like little boxes of new figurines that you get to add to the board and like everything changes huh. every month. It's really fun concept where it's just like, all right, well, you thought you were playing this game and actually now you're playing that game. Enjoy. Mid-month sometimes. And it's hmm. 
it's fascinating because it, it self balances where like pretty much every month we start off feeling like, all right, like ah, things are going well. Like we know how to play this game. Like we're balancing things well, where it's a very action economy focused kind of game. You know, move here, do that, move there, do that. By the last turn or two, we're like, if we don't end this game in one or two rounds, we're screwed. Mm -hmm. And every month has been that way. So to me, that feels like the sign of like a very well-designed game where you start off feeling good and then things go to shit very quickly. Yeah, it takes you on a little journey. So I, I would highly recommend that if you have like a group of people that like hang out a lot and like you're looking for something to do on the weekends. Uh, it's, you know, it's a little steep upfront costs and there's no, I mean, literally no replay value because you literally like ripping up cards and putting stickers on your board and things like yeah. that. But uh, it's really fun. I would recommend it. One last thing, Greg, and it's not what I'm mm -hmm. into, but I have a question. Sure. You knew it was coming. <laughs> I've seen a lot of headlines uh, referencing Star Trek Discovery, and I won't go into anything spoiler-related because neither of us have watched it, so we don't know. But, Greg, what is a mirror universe? Okay, so in the context of Star Trek, the mirror universe, and this has been a pretty influential concept in other sci-fi, and um, also has had has shown up in every version of Star Trek except Next Generation. Oh, um, weird. Yes, every every uh, every show. Um, Deep Space Nine might not have messed with the Mirror Universe, but that's not what's important. So the Mirror Universe, um, and I guess the easiest analog for you children is uh, you're familiar with the Darkest Timeline from Community? <laughs> yes. So that is their version of the Mirror Universe. So the Mirror Universe starts in um, the original Star Trek series uh, episode Mirror Mirror, um, and it features um, a, an evil, well, an entire evil enterprise featuring a Spock with a goatee. So if you've seen that popular image or had just kind of the general pop culture um, imagery of regular character with a goatee now is evil that comes from mirror mirror. So the mirror universe is a alternate universe to our own where instead of the United Federation of planets, which is this peaceful scientific diplomatic organization, you have the Terran empire, which is a hateful warlike murderous thing. Um, they all wear like, <laughs> Like their uniforms are like the same colors and like the same general designs, except like the shirts are sleeveless and the women have like bare midriffs and they're Ooh. all wearing these like sci-fi daggers on their hips. <laughs> um, and it's inherently silly, right? Because there's all that whole like alternate timeline thing where, oh, so everything happened almost exactly the same, even though there was this huge universe altering event when the, the you know, the Federation went a different way yet we still have all the same people who are like captains and lieutenants and like piloting the same ships just um now they're all evil so it's a little bit silly but it has kind of got legs in the star trek uh canon um in fact there is recently a it might actually be happening right now a next generation comic which finally addresses like um what the mirror universe is in the next generation. And you've just got this like jacked Picard with a little white goatee. Like he's just, he's got these huge muscles and no sleeves and a big red sash around his waist. Um, and it is, 
it is the goofier side of Star Trek, but it is my understanding that um, the second half of the first season of Star Trek Discovery goes all in on some mirror universe shenanigans. And I kind of bounced off the show um, midway through the first part of the season. I just, I kind of, I just fell off. You know how it is. You just, you watch an episode and then the next one comes out and you just never really have a great urge to watch it. So whatever, kind of bounced off. But now that I feel like they're going all in on mirror universe shenanigans, I am, I might have to go back to Star Trek Discovery. So like three things here. First thing, (laughs) first thing. Uh, I, I was the same. I watched the episode and I, you know, especially not being super into Star Trek, I was like, well, you know, I'll get around to this someday. But when I saw some of this stuff going down and I saw like alternate versions of characters and different costumes, I was like, oh, oh, wait, 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 hold on. What's going on here? (laughs) I'm interested now. Second thing. What? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. This is, this is one of those things where again, this is established. This silliness is established canon. And one thing that Star Trek does not do that, you know, Star Wars or uh, some other um, franchises will do is extensive retconning. It's like, no, the mirror universe is canon. And the mirror universe, it's not like in, you know, in that original episode, Mirror Mirror, that they like destroyed the mirror universe didn't happen like it is ongoing and theoretically has a history as long as you know the regular star trek universe so you kind of have to um acknowledge it like again like we talked about when we when we talked about star trek discovery way way back um and like all the hoops that star trek has jumped through just to kind of rationalize the different makeup and costumes the klingons have had over the last 60 years um 50 years that's how Star Trek works. And I know it's a little crazy and I but I kind of like how the ostensibly like darker, more serious Star Trek that we were getting like has kind of taken a hard left turn and been like, no, this is all about the mirror universe. One of the goofiest, dumbest things in our canon. We're going all in on it. I I I appreciate that because that was a big old head fake uh from that from that show well that's that was my like that was my what was like so this is like a new start right you know like rebooting star trek from new, new generation and I'm like you know what let's just do the goofiest <laughs> most like canon heavy thing we can possibly think of and like before like i assumed that well i don't know in that episode mirror mirror you would have thought that was like the first time they crossed over with the mirror universe but apparently not since this show takes place before that. Right. So like, and if it sounds like from headlines I've read, like they are going all in on this. Like it is a major, not just like one episode kind of tomfoolery, right? This isn't some just mm-hmm. like start like ne- next generation. Like uh, we got 30 episodes to fill. Let's just like throw something crazy and like, let's like put a goatee on Spock and see what happens. This is like, <laughs> A commitment, right? <laughs> yes, yes. And of course, now they're going to have to figure out some way that um, there's all these mirror universe shenanigans that then they're going to have to square with the fact that 50 years later when Kirk shows up, now they're encountering the mirror universe for the first time. Sure, but that's Star Trek. That's These are the trouble. This is the trouble they get themselves in all the time. Well, and you know, as someone as myself, I sort of admire that, that you're just going to take the good with the bad and the crazy with the ugly and everything and just try and make it work. And 
they've got fans to you got fans to figure it out that they'll make it work somehow <laughs> right uh i just i needed to ask because i've been seeing these headlines and i don't want to read anything so i don't want to get super spoiled but it's just like what is going on <laughs> yeah yeah i'm 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 anxious to get back into that show because um yeah they have they have piqued my curiosity <laughs> with this dumb bullshit I just I give them a lot of credit because that's not the direction I thought they were going to go with no, this show. <laughs> me neither. Me neither. Um, and I, I, based on some of the screen caps I've seen, I'm like, I like where you have gone with this. I want, I want more. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm gonna get back into Discovery now. Yeah. So that was a bit of a tangent on my part. I just had to ask because I was just so <laughs> my curiosity was beyond peak because I love alternate timelines, alternate dimensions, anything with that bullshit, just sign me right up. And yes, I need, I need to learn about some Star Trek stuff. So, but on to the actual topic of the night. Yes. Our topic. What is the point of action movies? I don't know. I mean, yeah, no, that's, that's the, that's the, that's the conceit here is (laughs) what is, what is the point of action movies? Um, So we're going to unpack uh, what action movies are and what's going on with them because it seems like kind of a strange thing, right? Like we know what the point of drama movies are and we know what the point of like historical movies are, right? They're, you know, um, and we know what the point of comedies are, right? And make us laugh. Horror movies we've talked about, you know, they uh, let us explore dark ideas and you know, but what is the point of action movies? So I think we should begin um, in a way that we haven't begun in a while, and that is with the pedantic definition of terms. Yay! <laughs> so, how do we define an action movie? Because it's really broad, and there's a lot of kind of subgenres of action movie. It's kind of a super genre. Um, cause you can think of like, there are spy action movies, there are action adventure movies, there are action comedies, but these are all held together by the certain DNA and that is the action part of it. So in thinking about this and doing some research, I actually did some research for this. Ooh. Um, I'm going to define action movies by two things. These are, you've got to have both of these things to be an action movie. The first is action course and the second is spectacle so action in this sense means now we can talk about like oh there's dramatic action in any piece of theater or movie which means that that those are the events or actions by the characters that move the plot along but i'm talking about physical action as opposed to dialogue or internal kind of emotional activity that might drive the plot of a non- action movie right where in a drama much of the plot is moved around by conversations that the characters have or actions they take that might not necessarily be like physical actions it's something like so and so sold the house like that's not action in the same way that like indiana jones shooting six nazis is action so it's physical actions of our characters are as important if not more important than the characters and the relationships of the characters. So we've got this focus on physical action as opposed to maybe more dramatic action or interpersonal action. Secondly, spectacle. Um, and this, you can really trace the roots back to um, classical or, you know, uh, maybe Renaissance 
theater. Um, and the idea is it's showing us something amazing that we don't see in our everyday life. So, in fact, the very earliest films were all spectacle. Um, now, maybe this is because they were silent by limitations of technology and also short by limitations of technology. These things were 15 seconds long. You'd stick your head in one of the little Nickelodeon booths and turn the crank and you would see a thing. Um but it would just be things like it would be footage of the Eiffel Tower because most people, that's an amazing thing that they don't see. Or, you know, one of Thomas Edison's early films was a simulated Indian attack with real Indians. But you've got hundreds of, you know, hundreds of natives, Native Americans galloping across the plain. That's not something everyone sees every day. It's something amazing. It's something big. Um, and we'll get into kind of the historical roots of that and its role in theater. Uh in a bit, but action and spectacle are both equally important um, in an action movie. So you can have action in a movie that doesn't have spectacle. So a lot of movies will have like physical violence in them, but um, maybe that might be used to shock us or to illustrate like a turning point in a character's relationship, like when one finally slaps the other one, right? Um it's not there to be like, wow, that was an awesome looking slap. Oh, that was so cool. It's more about, you know, the the reality of the action. So you can have action, but without the spectacle, it doesn't really feel like an action movie anymore. Um, and you can have spectacle without action. So if you can imagine, you know, movies that are full of like beautiful landscapes or lavish historical costumes, right? That's spectacle. Amazing things you don't see every day. But we don't have like all the physical action that's going on. I mean, I've got a, an amazing vista of the African savanna, but it's just two people sitting in a in a jeep talking to each other. It's not really action, right? But we still have spectacle. But you combine action, focus on action, that physical activity, and um, you combine it with that spectacle, amazing, unusual visuals. Combine them, and I think you have an action movie. Um, and the intention of the action movie in the way that comedy is supposed to make us laugh, drama is supposed to make us feel and think. Um, action movies are supposed to excite us and to thrill us in that kind of, the kind of excitement and thrill you would get from like a roller coaster. Um, it's a kind of visceral excitement. Um, not to be confused with the thrill we get from watching a thriller, which is a whole different thing. I'm going to talk about that separately, but yes. Um, but when we think about our definition of action movie, it might be tempting to include a couple other elements that I don't think are necessary. So if you think about like action movies have simplistic plots, there's a good guy, there's a bad guy, they chase each other around, then they fight and the good guy wins. Simple plot. Um, shallow, tropey characters. Well, it's the grizzled cop chasing the... Um, slimy European, <laughs> um, you know, very simplistic themes about things like, you know, like if you think about the fast and the furious, like the themes of the fast and the furious is you got to watch out for your family, your family. Like that's it. Like that's, that's the movie. Um, and also kind of a regressive, uh, in the way that kind of violent and macho worldview. So you could say that those things are all parts of action movies, but I don't think those are necessary conditions for it to be an action movie. You can have an action movie with a more complex plot or with more fully developed characters, more complex themes, 
Um, doesn't have to be violent and macho, but it does have to have action. It does have to have spectacle. Are you with me so far? Yes. Uh, it's, I like the, I think the action spectacle sort of paradigm makes a lot of sense because I, I would add to action. There's a certain like mechanical component, right? Like a technical component to that. Not in every, especially when you get in some of the different sub genres of action. But I think that you're looking for interesting, interesting mechanical scenes from like a, a filmmaking perspective, right? Like interesting chase scenes or like interesting fight choreography. Like there's a, a, not all action films have that in the same way that they don't have some of the other things you added, but I think that's something that defines things that the action yeah. is not just a not just a point in the plot, but is a focus of the story. Not the story, but like the focus of the cinematic experience in that, you know, there's there's been some movies that I've watched that I did not like. For example, um I watched the most recent Die Hard movie. Hmm. Did you watch that one? No. Yeah, well, I, I watched the fourth one, and I was like, this isn't a bad movie. It's okay. The fifth one is bad. And I watched it, part of it because I was on an airplane, and I couldn't hear most of the dialogue, which probably <laughs> affected a little bit. But there was one scene, which even on the little you know airplane shitty screen, it was this like, crazy chase scene in Russia. Like It was like basically a half-hour-long like car-slash-tank-slash-all-kinds-of-thing chase scene, and it was awesome. And like that scene alone almost drove me to think like the movie is a good movie even though mm -hmm. it was terrible it was awful yeah. but there's a certain mechanical component that like oh wow not, not not even so much how do they do that but just like that was a really well put together action scene yeah and i think that's i think that's where the spectacle and the action kind of come together mm -hmm. like you can't just show me a car chase because i've seen a thousand car chases right you you have to um either execute it, it, it exceedingly well and or show me a kind of car chase that I haven't seen before. Show it to me in a different way. Um, because that's that, you know, it, it's that, again, we don't see car chases in our everyday life, but like there is something about action movies where they kind of have to raise the stakes on each other because, um, you know, certain stunts or set pieces, like if you've seen them once, you they're not going to be impressive a second time. You're not going to have that excitement and that wow factor a second time. And that mechanical element, I think, is really important to making a good action scene because I think we can all point to action scenes in movies where you just kind of lose track of what the hell is happening because maybe you you lose sense spatially of where like where everything is, especially in like a car chase, right? Like a great car chase, you've got a great sense. No matter where the camera is pointing, you know where the good guy's car is and you know where the bad guy's car is. Like you just have a sense for it in a, in a, in a kind of visceral way. Or a fight scene, you know, a lot of the complaints of the Christopher Nolan Batman movies where the, you know, the Batman would get into fights and it was just all these weird quick cuts and blurs and I couldn't see what was happening. And that's, you know, like I want to see like, you know, I want to see every little movement and, you know, I want to see every little stance he gets in and where he uses all of his gadgets, like the Batman fight scene in Batman versus Superman. Right. Where, you know, it's 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 filmed and presented in such a way where you can really focus on the action and enjoy the spectacle of the action. Yeah. And one thing that I've so I've become, you know, I haven't thought about this topic. This was this was very much your topic tonight, but I have become turned on to this in a very like interesting way because shay action spectacle like those together means nothing to her 
<laughs> like it, there is just there is i mean you can see the most impressive now sh she'll like it she likes spectacle like lord of the rings is like she likes those movies right but any of the marvel movies anything else like nothing impresses her when it comes to the action you know it has to be the characters or the dialogue or the comedy or you know the whole plot whatever but like nothing about mechanical action has any effect on her I'm like wasn't that like a cool scene where iron man did this and she's like i didn't care at all and it showed me that like, oh, that's not something that everyone cares about or is tuned into. And that's okay. I'm not, that's like criticism. It's just like, it really showed me that like, this is why someone might not like an action movies because action doesn't matter to them. Yeah. So I become a lot more turned on to like when trying to pick out a movie for us to watch or a movie to go see in the theaters together. Like, what is the action level in this? Like, example, a show like Daredevil, which is an action heavy show but also has a lot of good character drama and mm -hmm. compared to some other things that are more, maybe more, a little more action focused or a little more drama focused. It's kind of in that nice little medium area. But if you remember correctly in, in the first episode of daredevil, they have that action scene where he's at like the docks and he's, it's a really great action scene of him just mm -hmm. like being daredevil and beating a bunch of thugs and Shay's looking at her watch, right? Like when yeah. is this going to be done with? And I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is so awesome. And she's like, I don't, I don't care. And well, like that to me, that shows that like this thing is there is something to this because some people like it and some people don't. Yeah. And I think that I think part of that is I think it's it's like any kind of movie, with the exception of maybe a comedy. Um, no, I'll even comedy like to really appreciate it. Any any real genre film like you kind of have to learn how to watch the genre. Yeah. And if you're used to watching, you know, non-action stuff. Um, you kind of, you're probably like, oh, here comes a fight scene. I am going to tune out because I don't care about this. I know the good guy's going to win. Let's just fast forward. Um, because all of the intricacies of the way the fight plays out aren't interesting to you because you don't, you haven't really learned how to pick those things out. And even sometimes you have to be taught how to watch comedies too. Like you have to be kind of taught how to look for callbacks and kind of taught how to, um, uh, you know, pay real close attention to the small sight gags that might be happening outside of your point of view, you know, to catch all the jokes, you kind of have to like watch a comedy with somebody who really know, knows comedy and they'll point out a lot of things you might not notice. So next time you watch it, next time you watch a comedy, you'll laugh more. Um, I think the same thing is true for action movies as somebody who has watched a whole bunch of karate movies. Um, <laughs> like I get a lot more satisfaction, I think, from watching a, you know, hand-to-hand -hand fight scene that's really well put together than somebody who doesn't watch a lot of karate movies because there are intricacies of the choreography that I'm used to looking for um, and picking out like, ooh, this guy's fighting in that style and that guy's fighting in the other style, where somebody who's not tuned into that, they just see two guys punching each other. Ditto for, um, I have developed an eye for costume that other people might not. What? And you know. What? <laughs> what you costumes i can't imagine <laughs> so it's just i so i can understand how somebody who has not been soaking in action movies their entire life might might tune out during action sequences but i would i would argue that at least the harry potter movies that i have seen fall into the action category thinking especially about like the big quidditch matches um like that is an action sequence and i think that you know i think people you know know how to watch action maybe a little bit more than they learn them but anyway speaking of harry potter 
let's talk a little bit about some of the subgenres of action movies to kind of contextualize this for folks. Because I think when you say action movie, people think Die Hard. They think Rambo 2. They think anything with Arnold Schwarzenegger in it, which is true. But this genre is broader than than that. So uh, there is the action adventure movie, which so adventure movie in the in the in the classical example is is it's about taking you through exotic locations um where you know we're we are following our characters on an adventure through exotic scenic locations it's not an adventure movie it just takes place in queens um we've got to see cool places so an action adventure the best example is probably indiana jones you're running around to exotic locations and also seeing indiana jones do cool action in while he's there action comedy that's easy um you take an action movie and you add some laughs usually by just adding a funny character uh into the mix or having you know kind of a uh, odd couple duo who you know make fun of each other throughout the whole thing classic example lethal weapon or or the rock and kevin hart as has become you know right <laughs> or the rush hour movies that were going on for a while yeah um uh then you have sci-fi action, which is action that has spaceships involved, um, or action fantasy, which is action that has wizards involved. So I would say that Harry Potter, at least the first couple of movies, fall into the kind of an action fantasy realm. You're making a face. You might not agree. Uh, I mean, I think the first couple of Harry Potters are kids' movies, and the latter couple of Harry Potter movies are boring. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I see where you're coming from. They definitely, they definitely step up the both the action and the spectacle from the books because, as J.K. Rowling is on record uh, as saying, she said, "I quote: I can't write action or magic or sports scenes." So she decided to write a bunch of books that incorporated a ton of action, <laughs> action, magic, and sports, and, sports and action. Ma- yeah. So uh, that's a side conversation for another time. All right. But uh, but yeah, so I, I would agree that they are mostly action fantasy so, as opposed to Lord of the Rings, which I think is a little bit more just in the pure fantasy. There's a lot of action in them. But so I would I would say that Lord of the Rings probably falls into a genre, a, a little used genre anymore. But um, and that is just epic where mm. it is. It is a lot of different genre conven- conventions kind of thrown together into a giant smorgasbord of movie. It is a fantasy setting, um, but it also has a lot of action elements, has a lot of drama elements, and has comedy elements um, in almost equal measure. Um, so anyway, so we also have spy action, which is literally James Bond movies. Those are spy action movies. Um, although the Kingsman movies have dialed up the action part of that equation a lot. Um, but you can have a spy movie that's not an action movie. Um, yeah. Like the, the Bourne movies are spy action as well, I guess. Uh, the the Bourne movies are definitely spy action. Mission Impossible is pretty much spy action. But you can have a spy movie like one of my favorites, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, that is not an action movie at all. It's more about intrigue and skullduggery and um, uh, 19, 1960s Britain and Tom Hardy and Benedict Cumberbatch and every John Hurt and literally every great British actor. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked can, wait, talking wait, about Tinker Taylor. Can, can, huh? can you can you find that word you said? What? Skull skullduggery. Skullduggery? Can you find that for me? Can I define skullduggery? Yeah. Um <laughs> spell it and define it. Use it a sentence. <laughs> 
So Skullduggery spelled uh, S-K-U-L-D-U-G-G-R-E defined by the dictionary as underhanded or unscrupulous behavior or trickery. You Um, cheated. Yeah, I did. I was going to say it's like, all right, you know how like swashbuckling is for pirates? Skullduggery uh-huh. is like that, but for but for spies, oh, okay. <laughs> you right. know, just like sneakiness and um, <laughs> deception and all that stuff. Gotcha. Cloak and cloak and dagger type type uh, shit. All right, all right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So um, you can even have things like horror action, um, or maybe action horror, and I think you can kind of say that maybe Evil Dead is like that. Where you're taking, I mean, Evil Dead is basically an action movie, but it just kind of has more of a horror setting. Um, so I say, if, I say a lot of zombie movies are horror action more than not, like not like yeah. some of like the classics, but like modern zombie movies. Like you see people fighting and killing zombies because they're fighting back, right? Like the people right. fight back, and they're just like running and tripping over roots and like getting slashed to death. Like there is a back and forth here. Yeah, um, cop action. Um, I, I wonder about this. Is this is that just action or is there like a separate <laughs> genre? Because like a lot of movies are like, you know, like Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, Rush Hour. There's a lot of cop, you know, like semi crime based sort of things that fall in this category. But what we think of like classic action movies, a lot of them are cop or military. Yeah. Themed I mean, movies. I, I think that I mean, I think that the cop genre, usually that gets you to the buddy cop movie, which is often an action movie. Um, or there are a lot of, it is maybe kind of its own sub genre because there's a lot of like really solid tropes in the cop action movie. Like there's always the like police chief is like, you don't play by the books, Callahan. <laughs> um, you know, and, and it's always about like, Oh, they've got to go. Um, they've got to, you know, they've got to go against procedure to do what's right. And, you know, the DA is getting in the way and like all of those classic tropes. So like, I think it definitely is a thing because it's different than a, like a police procedural movie, um, which you might say like seven is maybe more of a procedural. Um, yeah. They make procedural movies. Like they make procedural TV shows. Usually better than that though. <laughs> there's not, so, there's not many like law and order movies. Let's be honest. <laughs> not yet. Oh, did you see that? Um, Stephen King just put out a tweet and he said like he wants Dick Wolf to get to work on. Well, I'm pretty sure Dick Wolf is dead, but whatever. Um, is he? I don't know. Um, uh, Stephen King just said like, I wanted to work on law and order vampire squad. And I'm like, <laughs> I, like how great would that be? Like a police procedural TV show, except instead of victims of like, cause you know, law and order has all the spinoffs like SVU, which yep, is like yep. for sex crimes. Um, but it was just like, Oh no, they're all victims of vampires. Well, I think, I think they should, they should merge universes and do Dick Wolf should team up with, uh, everyone behind like, um, God, I'm going to, uh, the guy from Thor Ragnarok and his vampire stuff. Uh, Taika Watiti. Yes, thank you. Uh, and put those universes together and have have that merge. Let's do that. Speaking of uh, what we do in the shadows, has found a network, and I think it's FX. Um, and some casting has been announced, and I was skeptical of them bringing this great vampire comedy over to the states. Because I was like, the movie was fine. We don't need a TV show. But then they told me Matt Berry is going to be in the cast. And I'm like, fine. I guess I'm watching all of this now. Uh, uh, and <laughs> As long as they commit to the Dick Wolf Law and Order theme. I mean, that's all I want. <laughs> like, with the with the gavel drop every scene cut, that's all I need. It's just really, <laughs> dunk, dunk. it just, dunk, dunk. 
<laughs> All right. Okay. We're getting distracted. <laughs> we are getting distracted. Talk about Dick Wolf. All right. Um, so I threatened before that I was going to make some historical examples um, based on research. So now um, in what I normally would say in any other debate, any other argument is a bad move to just say like, well, there's historical precedent. So I'm justifying this thing. I'm going to try to justify a generally shat upon genre by drawing historical precedent, which I know is a bad argument. Just because some Greeks did it doesn't mean it's good. But anyway, um, so I think we can all acknowledge that typical action movies tend to take certain shortcuts in the storytelling department. And I think that's an inescapable truth because every minute you spend on a car chase or to have someone being blown forward by an explosion is a minute you can't spend on dialogue or intricacies of the plot. I will say that you can spend moments of car chases and uh, um, kung fu battles on character development, but we'll get there. So oftentimes, one of those shortcuts, a way to save more minutes for car chases, is you get broad kind of tropey characters. So you can, you've got the grizzled cop, or like we said before, like the hard-ass police chief, um, the slimy traitorous character who you know from the first minute. It's like, oh, that guy's a bad guy. I can tell by his haircut. And then in the third act, oh, yep, he's a bad guy. Um, or you've got the kind of puckish rogue character. And so you kind of have this shorthand, right? Like, I know from the first minute I see this, I know who this guy is and what role he's going to play in the story. So the director, the filmmaker, doesn't need to spend a lot of time establishing who these people are. Kind of a shortcut that gets taken in action movies. But there is, is historical precedent for that. Um, I'm going to reference specifically uh, Commedia dell'arte, which I'm mispronouncing and probably insulting Italians, as I do, uh, or Comedy of the Professions, which was a style of theater that developed in Europe in the kind of 16th to 18th centuries. Um, and it was kind of one of the the um, the earliest forms of sketch comedy. So you've got short scenes that are maybe partially improvised, but they're kind of self-contained, right? Like, they don't lead in, you know, you go watch a sketch comedy show, it's going to be one sketch, reset, new sketch, new characters, new endings. There's no real through line, maybe a little bit of through line if you're watching uh, Mr. Show, but um, uh, sketch comedy. Um, but it relied on stock, literally literal stock characters. And the stock characters were the same from troop to troop. So a different comedy troupe would roll into town and they would have the same stock characters as the last one, eh, you know, give or take. Um, and you, so they and you would tell who they were instantly by the costume. Um, and so you would have things like you'd have the sad clown or the hopeless lovelorn lovers or the rich, foolish old man or the arrogant soldier, but these kind of broad archetypal characters. Um, but what that did was it allowed, if you're doing short comedy scenes, it helps if you don't have to set up the characters. Um, you've got, the stock characters, you put them in a situation where comedy can ensue. And it allowed to allowed, you know, these troops to develop the sketches and because there was this shared language of who the characters were and where the um, expectations were. And it, it allowed, it was a shorthand communication between the performers and the audience that allowed them to focus on other things. Um, so there's historical precedent there. And 
I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to rely on stock or tropish characters if it helps you tell the story you're trying to tell, especially as we'll see, oftentimes you subvert the troop tropes and expectations a little bit. But And another thing that maybe is a general action movies don't have to have broad uh, tropey themes as well, but they tend to. Um, you know, just big, broad, philosophical kind of ideas like heroism and loyalty, like Fast and the Furious. That's like, that's the whole thing. Loyalty is the entire theme of any of those movies. Good versus evil. Um, you know, the, the good guys wear white and the bad guys wear black. Um, and those sorts of big, broad stroke themes. It's not, um, you know, subtle, explorative ideas like, um, you know, a man, you know, turning to seclusion out of grief and finding that his struggle against the nature around him is the, is the struggle against the inevitability of his grief. Like, it's not that. That's not action movies. <laughs> action movies are, there's good guys and there's bad guys. We want to see the good guys win. Um, so this actually, uh, this kind of zoomed out view like everything's real broad strokes because we got to zoom the cameras way out, metaphorically speaking, to capture this entire freeway being engulfed in flames. Um, this kind of broad thematic thing, how also we can go back to 16th century Europe uh, with the mask, M-A-S-Q-U-E, which was a style of theater popular in the 16th, 17th century where you had hugely elaborate sets often designed by famous architects of the time lavish, elaborate costumes, great special effects. They would often end with fireworks. Um, and these things were kind of performed um, usually as part of big celebrations held by the nobility. Um, and because of that context, a lot of times, a lot of the cast of a mask was with non-actors, either you know the performing family themselves or their servants or other people um, so you couldn't count on these people to really remember lines. So you put them in a fancy costume, put a big mask on their face and told them like, stand over there. And when then this guy gets stabbed react. Um, so you didn't have a lot of, sometimes these things were almost, were almost nonverbal. It would all just be, you would just kind of watch the action unfold, look at the amazing sets and costumes and have a good time. Um, so partially it was due to the expediency of the casting, um, and where we want people to focus, we want them to look at the costumes. We don't want them to, you know, that's where we want their attention. Um, but it was also kind of the role of this piece of theater in its context. Like, what are we trying to do here? Um, and it was supposed to be light entertainment. This was a part of a party or a festival. Um, we're not asking our guests to be pulled into the... Um, into the drama and to think about what this means about humanity and man's treatment of man. Um, we wanted people to be just entertained, to have fun, to enjoy themselves and appreciate the spectacle. Um, and so the action movie kind of plays a similar role in our culture. Uh, we typically, we go to action movies when we want to be entertained and amazed, not when we want to explore, um, you know, what does it mean for, you know, two outcasts to find love in a in a context where it's forbidden, like The Shape of Water? Like that's, you know, we go to movies for different things. Not every movie so so serves the same purpose. 
Um, you can have cheeseburgers and you can have pizza for different moods. Um, but is that the point of the action movie? Just to entertain us? Is that all it can do for us, Andrew? No. <laughs> yes, you got it right. <laughs> See, I always get it right. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts on this. And okay. I mean, I think that when you look back at history, you see a lot of this, right? Like when you read an epic prose work or epic poetry, you know, whether it's Gilgamesh or, you know, the Iliad or the Odyssey, there's a lot of action in those, right? And I think that much much like, I'll use an analogy, right? I'll, I'll quote the uh, classic artist Rob Zombie. I, I don't oh, know. Oh, God. That, um, Every word of that sentence was wrong. <laughs> uh, that he, he always says when he's talking about metal is that, Black Sabbath did it all that every band after them just does it faster, slower, heavier, lighter. <laughs> and I think that everything comes from something. Right. And I think that when you look back at the classics, right, you're just distilling different parts of those. Right. There's in the Odyssey, there's romance and there's drama and there's intrigue. There's also action. And I think that these things are distilling the action and spectacle elements of those stories because more so action in the Iliad, more so spectacle in the Odyssey where, you know, he's going on a journey, literally an Odyssey, uh, to different islands and different situations and different monsters and things where the Iliad is a lot more combat focused. So I think you could look at action and spectacle in each of those separately because the, in the Iliad, the setting is very much the same, just the beaches of Troy generally. And, I think that you're taking that and saying like you're you're literally a guy from what like 1100 BCE saying I like that Odyssey story, but I don't like the parts where he goes to the fun places <laughs> and he goes right to the story where it's just them going to the fun places. That's what this is, right? It is the distillation of the parts that some people like of those classic stories, and you distill and refine and distill and refine in the same way you make a lot of fine food and alcohol. And give the final product, which is just that in its pure form. And that's what action movies are, to me at least. So I think that so far the, the, the history you've traced is accurate. And I think that those, those things are, especially when you're looking back at the Renaissance, they were very much looking to the classics to inform their entertainment. So it is entertainment, but I think that there is more to it than just entertainment. Because especially in recent times, I want to talk about... We talk a little bit about older history and we're talking some more recent movies, but I think I want to talk also a little about where we are now versus maybe 10 or 20 years ago. And I think what action movies have evolved or changed since then. Yes. Um, so I'm with you and, and, and I'm going to come back to that because you've kind of, kind of teasing my closer. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so the big question was, can actions do, can action movies do more than entertain us? Um, can they do more than just show us spectacular violence? Because the argument would go, if all we want to see is spectacular violence, we will watch boxing. I will see two dudes beat each other up and it'll be fun to watch. And I will have the excitement and the visceral thrill and a little bit of the self-projection where now I'm involved, I, I, I can safely project myself into an exciting, dangerous act of violence. I imagine myself as one of the pugilists and I feel a little bit of um, vicarious thrill. But I would say, no, we we don't all just watch boxing and, and UFC or, you know, fight videos on YouTube. 
we watch these movies too, and they must be having something else other than just especially pretty versions of dudes punching each other. So I would say that good art, even when it is packaged as just entertainment, is capable of giving us something more than just entertainment. I think that almost goes without saying. Um, we can think of great comedy TV shows that have done more for us than just given us 30 minutes of laughs. So I think one of the great, like one of the great, one of the common digs against action movies is that, um, is that they don't really have characters or character development. And I would say that's not necessarily true. Um, it's just that you have to know where to look and not every action movie does this. The best ones do. But so one example is the matrix. Um, the matrix is a phenomenal action movie, um, for many, many reasons, but you can actually see Neo, you can see his mental state evolve through his fighting style. We see him in a lot of fights. Um, but also part of the story is his kind of mental or spiritual journey towards some kind of enlightenment. Um, and you can actually see where as he goes on this mental spiritual journey, he goes from a kind of traditional, um, theatrical kung fu style in the early fights into the, that kind of final showdown with agent smith in the subway station where he kind of has his resurrection moment but then he like he starts fighting with just one hand and it becomes more gentle and fluid and zen like and that's because you can see in his physicality um where he's at spiritually um there's a similar thing that happens in logan where as the movie goes on and we see Logan's um, physical state deteriorate even more and we see him kind of like, he's kind of on his last legs emotionally too. Um, and he's getting more desperate as we get closer to the end of the movie. Um, his fighting becomes much more savage and sloppy than it was early on. Like that first fight scene there, you know, outside the car, you know, he's very precise and just hacking dudes to pieces like it's like it's nothing. But then in the last couple fights, he's just, you know, it's much more animalistic and um, desperate. Whereas X-23, she kind of goes in the opposite direction. Like she starts out like a little berserker. But then by the end of the movie, she's going the opposite way. And now she's more precise and graceful. And you can see... And just through the physicality of the action scenes, you can see these characters changing. Logan does a great job of showing you those changes also in other dialogue and other moments. It's a fantastic film. But great action directors can show you character development through the physicality of the actors. Um, this is often really well done. I mean, generally, if you want to see great, you know, physicality of fighting, you've got to look to, you know, Asian uh, martial arts movies where, you know, they kind of invented this, um, the Jet Li movie Fist of Legend, which is a remake of the unfinished, uh, Bruce Lee movie Chinese Connection, um, does this to great effect as well, where you can see him, see his fighting change as he goes through some character moments. Um, but action movies can also, they, you know, the, the other argument is the themes are really broad and really shallow. Um, and it's just, it, there's nothing complex or subtle about action movies. Um, but I would say that action movies can actually give us complex themes and characters that 
give us a lot to talk and think about. Um, the Matrix, again, I mean, it's a little bit dumb and I don't think they do it anymore, but they were teaching college courses on The Matrix for a while. And you can, there's lots of discussion about the themes and philosophical underpinnings and spiritual references in The Matrix. There's a lot to talk about there above and beyond. Boy, it sure was awesome when, you know, uh, Neo and Morpheus had that first Kung Fu fight, right? Um, and also The Last Jedi, the internet is still unable to shut up about that movie. And not just because some people liked it and some people didn't. Like, there's a lot to unpack there and talk about. But at the end of the day, that's kind of an action movie. I mean, that movie is really about moving us from action sequence to action sequence. It opens with a giant fucking bombing run. And yet, there is a lot for us to talk about and unpack in terms of the, th the themes. What is that movie about? How do the characters develop? What do we have to see? I mean, it has it's almost three hours long, so it has that to its credit to cram in a lot of stuff. And it has a lot of history to rest on of, um, you know, characters. It doesn't have to develop because we know them already and themes that we expect, blah, blah, blah. But thirdly, there's also the complaint of action movies are about, you know, these broad, tropey, um, stock characters, but action movies are absolutely capable of producing iconic, singular, relatable characters. Um, in fact, I would say they might all, all almost be better at giving us these iconic characters because I think they have to rely so much on charisma and having just a, such a recognizable character because you don't have a lot of time to really de you know develop their personality you kind of have to throw it out there in a big splash but um harry potter i again i don't know if i'm cheating by lumping that in with the um action genre and also those came from books so mm, okay but john mcclain from the diehard movies um is a classic character ash from evil dead i mean that is not a i mean you there there is no precedent in uh characters in film or literature that you can point to and be like, oh, that's just an early version of Ash. Like Ash from Army of Darkness and Evil Dead. Like that guy sprang forth uh, completely originally from the weird brains of Sam Raimi and, and Bruce Campbell. Um, the Terminator. For all the jokes we make about the Terminator, like that is a cultural icon of, you know, uh, as far as characters are concerned. Dirty Harry, like we use that to refer to bad cops. Like that is a, that is a meaningful character in our culture and probably the greatest action hero character of all time, Indiana Jones. So I think, yeah, you can point to some action movie characters and just be like, uh, that guy's just like, he's a car, but he's a person. But I think you can also point to a lot of action movie characters and point to like, these characters are touchstones of our culture and not because they just happen to be that way because they were in a popular movie. Like they grabbed our consciousness for some reason. Um, and I think that, you know, the appeal of Indiana Jones goes beyond just the appeal of Harrison Ford. So now that I have hopefully given counterexamples to the common criticisms of the action movie genre, um, it, it all kind of comes back to this idea of what I'm calling information compression, right? We don't have a ton of time and we, we, we got to have a lot of movie time in our movie for car chases and gunfights. So we have to compress information elsewhere. Um, but every movie compresses information one way or another. Um, action movies compress character and plot and theme, but 
drama movies compress a lot of information about like cultural context. Like we talked in an earlier episode about how um, dramas rely on an understanding of class and theme and cultural context that it just assumes you go into the movie with um, because it's set in quote unquote, the real world. Well, the real world for a certain class of people, um, but it assumes, you know, some stuff already. And so it's compressing information. It's taking shortcuts um, because it, it, you have ingoing assumptions about the way that, you know, oh, this is, I know a lot about how dating in 20, for 20 somethings works. So this movie doesn't need to explain to me the rules of dating. Um, so that information gets compressed. Um, so movies compressing information for the sake of time is not inherently a bad thing. I think it's just, it's a little bit more obvious to people when action movies do it, but dramas and comedies we take for granted, um, because it's kind of a blind spot for us. Um, but those, you know, that, that goofy comedy about dating in New York in your 20 somethings, you know, and all those jokes that assume that we all were 20 somethings and dating once like that makes assumptions about like, well, you can laugh at these things if, you know, you're a, he you're a heterosexual person who was dating and because this is how dating works when you're heterosexual. But if you were a homosexual person dating in the 70s, you had a much different experience because you couldn't just, you know, walk up to people in bars. You could get murdered for being gay. So, again, it's an assumption of information compression that's a blind spot culturally. Right. And there's a reason that the, the most popular movies abroad are action movies and shows aren't that same way and drama movies aren't the same way. You know, the movies that are popular in Korea and China and Japan and India are not three billboards outside of whatever. Uh, they are transformers. Right. And for better or worse, that's because, you know, they have their own TV shows and smaller movies that deal with their cultural context that do it better than obviously a film, you know, that would be, more tied to what we know and understand that is well, right like you know i haven't seen three billboards i i hear it's quite good but from what i gather it is essentially a you know it's a movie that relies on your understanding about the way that small town police work goes and the inherent sexism in the way that a lot of small town police work goes and that is a very american understanding um and the movie kind of goes, you know, it assumes you know some of that stuff. So, again, information compression, not an inherently bad thing. So, coming back to our original question. Um, and this is going to be where I get to how things are a little bit different than today, than they were maybe in the heyday of the action movie. Well, not the heyday. Let's say the golden age of the action movie. Golden so, age. <laughs> so, the point of the action movie is to entertain of course duh uh and that is valuable we all want to be entertained we want to escape from uh our day-to-day -day. we want something exciting because life can be boring and we want to flirt with you know physical danger vicariously through car chases and escape scenes because we're stressed out dealing with more financial danger <laughs> existential dread you know you kind of want to sit in a situation where, oh boy, I sure hope James Bond doesn't get shot in this one. Um, but there's something else going on here too, and it is related to those broad themes, those broad philosophical themes that 
do play well overseas because they are broad and kind of humanistic in nature, loyalty, goodness, sacrifice, determination. So those matter. And what matters is the way that action movies tend to hide those things behind smashy, smashy. We, because even, and you see this with Last Jedi and, and with a lot of other action movies, like people get upset when they think their action movie is trying to teach them something. But the truth is that even the action movies that seem like they're not trying to teach you something are teaching you something. Um, they're teaching you about loyalty or goodness or sacrifice or all those things. It's just not obvious because you're used to an action movie teaching you those things. Um, but it also doesn't really cram them down your throat um, the way a more a movie with a more obvious agenda might. Um, so to me, that means action movies are actually tools for communicating values rather than asking us to interrogate our assumptions about things is that it is communicating values of things like loyalty and determination. Um, these kinds of things that values that kind of rise a little bit above, you know, morality or politics. Um, but it's kind of stealth teaching you values in the way that like Aesop's fables teach you values, right? Um, now that can be used for good or for evil. Um, Jim movie, Bob Chipman, one of my favorite YouTube film critics, um, in his rundown of the original Die Hard makes a really good point about how the Die Hard is a vehicle for transmitting like totally Reagan era conservative values. Like if you look at the values that that movie teaches you above and beyond, just like, Hey, when there's bad guys, you, you gotta be the good guy. Um, all the other things it teaches you, like they're, you know, pretty 1980s right wing American. Um, but The Last Jedi is also teaching us values. And I think this might be one of the things that a lot of people are bristling at, that it's teaching values that maybe they didn't expect from an action movie or don't want to hear <laughs> because they don't align with their own personal values. But like the value of preservation over destruction, like that's a huge theme in The Last Jedi of, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of Rose's it's one of the last lines of the movie where Rose says like, no, we have to protect what we love, not destroy what we hate. Um, but that theme runs all through um, the movie is that Luke is wrong for wanting to destroy the Jedi order, right? Um, um, it teaches us to be skeptical. The, the, the last Jedi teaches us to be skeptical of the legendary figures of our, um, of our culture. Right. It shows us Luke Skywalker and he is not the guy that Ray expected or anyone expected. Um, and it teaches us about the importance of inspiration. And these are values that this movie is transmitting, but it's a little bit more stealth about it than the way another movie might be. But that's the point of action movies. It is to entertain us with cool, smashy, smashy space laser swords while at the same time transmitting values to us. Um, in ways that big, broad stroke values, um, and there it is. That's what it, that's the point of an action movie is to teach you values, teach you how to be a good person, um, while at the same time um, making you think you're just there for the car chases. All right. <laughs> so let's take a step back and think about that theory, which I think is accurate. And apply it to like a say like thirty to forty year view of history of action movies, right? Sure. So 
I'd say that the peak of action. Well, there's debate here, right? Greg, would you th- would you say the peak of action movies were the 80s or the 90s? Oh, it's so tough to say because I mean there was a burst of action movies in the 80s, right? The heyday of Schwarzenegger, Stallone, um, bleeding into the 90s with Van Damme and Steven Seagal and these guys. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's tough to say because I, I mean a lot of people would probably say that the golden age of the action movie was the 80s because that's when you had. Lethal Weapon and 48 Hours, and this was kind of when the genre was kind of really being defined for the modern day. I think we have redefined it in the last 10 years, but I would say that, yeah, if you want to talk about like the real, like when we figured our shit out, it was the 80s. Okay. So I grew up watching a lot of TV, and when I watched TV, it was in the weekends a lot, and I found myself on channels like TNT. Sure. And TBS uh-huh. and USA. Uh-huh. And they basically exclusively showed action movies from yeah. the late 80s and 90s. I, I remember one of those stations used to have a like a um like a theme night of like called movies for guys who like movies. And it was all like 80s and 90s yep. action movies. Yep. Yep. So I would say that I mean, when you think about those movies, like when you think about 80s versus 90s, right? Like these movies came out in the late 80s, like the big ones. Like they're like Predator, Commando, Lethal Weapon, Die Hard. They're all like 87, 88, 89, mm-hmm. you know. And they obviously all bled on to, not all of them, but most of them bled on to their own series into the uh, 90s. And I do think that there's some examples within those series that you see that like produce complexity, right? Like if you look at Die Hard, which, you know, I would agree, you know, is a lot of like Reagan era, even though it's the end of the Reagan era, really. Um, although I guess that continues in the Bush one era, like values, but like Die Hard with a Vengeance is a different set of values in some ways, mm. right? Like it shines a light on an area you've got, you, you put John McClane in, you know, well, I mean, the movie makes you feel like it's like 1970s New York, but it's really <laughs> movie came out in 1995. It's not exactly the same thing, but like putting him up against a character like Sam Jackson's character, it makes it look very different. Right. Sure. And I think that is a point in the favor of these movies are evolving. What do you think about like the vein of movies that came out in that like mid to late nineties, early two thousands? I mean, I'm just going to say like the classic Michael Bay movies, like <laughs> your Con Airs, your The Rock, your, uh, you know, Point Blank, your um, Broken Arrows, your all that stuff. Those movies that just uh, face-offs, face-offs, a classic. Oh, a true classic. Uh, Any movie with with you know John Travolta is just a true classic. Um, What do you think about movies like that? Are are there values in those? I think there are, but I think they're you know they're Michael Bay's gross values. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I think that they're you know Michael Bay has a distinct anti-intellectual strain. you know, thinking about Con Air, like his villain is a genius and his hero is Nick Cage. <laughs> um, and I think that there's definitely a formula that that stepped in there. And I think there were a lot of things also going on in the industry where they were trying to replicate the success of Die Hard of casting non-action stars in action roles. This is where you saw Nicolas Cage. Like this is, you know, this was he his action hero phase. Um 
but you also saw John Travolta trying to get in on a lot of these things, trying to reinvent his career. There are a lot of things going on. Um, and I think that there is also the Tarantino influence on the uh, mid-late 90s action movie is, you know, you can't, we can't talk about that without talking about the Tarantino influence where gore and shock value becomes a big part of the equation. And the idea of going over the top with things, face off being maybe the epitome of this. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that there are values in, in there that they're trying to instill. But even if you look at face off, right, you've got, oh, it's going to be real hard to talk about this. Cause I, can never remember once they switch faces i can't remember who the good guy and the bad guy is <laughs> um but like if you look at the the villain character caster troy right he's like a uh, he's like a gross pervert and the um and the originally john travolta character whose name i don't recall he is a family man he's very wholesome um down to earth and that that is telling you something, right? That is a same thing with Con Air, right? All of the all of the villains in that are not only weird, gross sex perverts, mostly, but also mostly minorities. And then you've got the Cameron Poe character, Nick Cage's character, who's like, down home, good old boy. Just I was just protecting my woman outside the honky tonk and I got sent to prison. Like there's something there, right? And yeah. then they crash the plane into the Las Vegas strip, you know, um uh mecca of sin and debauchery. Like there are clear values um in that movie that are fairly conservative and fairly macho. Yeah. I you could also say that you could look at something like um um the serial killer character played by uh Malkovich? No, that's the main villain mm -hmm. who is like the smart guy, smart yeah. guy serial killer. Um, God damn it, I'm just blanking on his name. Uh, very famous actor. He plays a serial killer who's like a cannibal, like the the Hannibal Lecter surrogate in that oh, movie. Oh, uh, Buscemi, Steve Buscemi. Buscemi, yeah, yeah, Buscemi's character who is portrayed as like the end all be all evil, and turns out to be like kind of an okay guy. Yeah, but he might have ate that little girl though. No, he didn't. Cause oh, she's no, that's so right. That's right. Yeah. They show that, like, you. they make you think he ate that little girl. That's right. And you're like, oh, God, that's fucked up. And you're like, oh, no, there she is. They just had a tea party. It was fun. And it's like, oh, there's maybe I, like, are mentally ill, are, you know, like, not evil. <laughs> maybe. That's maybe a stretch of a yeah, value maybe. to search the movie. But I'm just saying, like, there's something there. But I, I think that, so, I, what I, my point here, bringing this up, was that I think there was, like, three distinct, well... I'll go and say it. I'll go ahead and say three. There was the late 80s action movie, Die Hard, Commando, Predator, Lethal Weapon, like very, you know, I'd say macho, but like in a more like, I don't know, in a more tempered way. I wouldn't describe, I wouldn't describe Die Hard as like particularly macho. It's just like, it's kind of just like a little gruesome and a little bit spectacle based. It is about, it is in many ways about um, a schlubby, dude a schlubby balding dude who has been rejected by his wife uh recovering his macho masculinity by murdering a whole bunch of people foreign people no less. yeah well yes um 
And then you have sort of like late 90s or 2000s where it's a lot of like, it's some of that stuff, but, and you've got some strange action heroes. I mean, look at movies like a lot of Michael Bay movies at the time. Um, we've just talked about like look The Rock and it's like, uh, you know, Nicolas Cage or whoever else. And it's a lot of just, I would put that in the most towards the mindless with some conservative values mixed in. But when it comes to where we are now, that's a big question for me, right? Because I'd say that that era of action movie, it doesn't really exist. The closest thing you could say that exists are superhero movies and a movie like, I guess John Wick is just a guy going around killing people, but the values are very different there than. Well, I John Wick were. is kind of a throwback. Um, right. And then there's a, also the nostalgia throwback factor. But I, I think it's it's real tough for me to put a finger on what exactly is going on in John Wick other than it's a, just a sociopath power fantasy. I love John Wick movies, by the way, um, but they're really more of just like a tech demo for great gunfight choreography than they are movies. But um, well, it's, it's more it's more like what I said. Like it's like an it continual. This is what a lot of movies are to me is like a continued distillation of things like, oh, you like action movies or we're going to distill the best action part of those action yeah. movies and make them into these things. Or we're going to distill the best spectacle part of those movies where that is more of an area where like, I think the other, the big area of action film, more action sci-fi, I guess, where you look at things like movies that we just don't even talk about. Like, especially you, people like you and I, like Transformers, Rampage, sure. Battleship, like movies that just come out and people just like, like San Andreas, uh, what else has fucking come out? Like Independence Day Resurgence, things that just like they come out and we like they just wash over us and we just have no reaction at all because in some ways they're relics, but and also they're just boring. I don't know. Yeah. So it, it looks like I mean, and it does look like Rampage is is pretty regressive, um, because it looks like and the the trailers basically give you the plot, um, is that The Rock is you know he's doing like women's work taking care of animals in the jungle and speaking to him in sign language but then we get to see the rock be the guy we want him to be where he gets like guns and helicopters and gets to save a city like that's kind of the thing so it's kind of like well that's a little like that you know he doesn't come into his fullness until he's you know got a 50 caliber gun on his shoulder um and even the little joke tag in the trailers where he can't get the helicopter to work he's like it's coming back to me like, okay, funny, but also it's like, well, the, the arc of his character is, you know, stop being a little weakling who cares about animals and instead blow up a city. Like, all right, gross. Um, but I think that when you look at the successful action movies, you know, the big franchises that are making all the money, Marvel and Star Wars, um, they are they are communicating different values. And Marvel is transitioning away from more of a traditional um action movie kind of style all about like um you know one man one white man um you know who is just so extraordinary he just has everybody just has to get out of his way so he can do what he thinks is right which is pretty regressive um towards you know they become more about groups and teams and you know guardians of the galaxy is about a bunch of weirdos coming together and you know saving the galaxy and the Avengers now finally, you know, infinity war, we're bringing everybody together with all their different skill sets. And you have a more, at least ostensibly 
diverse team. Um, and Star Wars, a little bit more obvious in this regard, taking the focus away from, um, you know, having just one Jedi dude be the center of the story. And now it's more about a, a, an ensemble. Um, and two of them are non-white. Oh, Lordy. Um, but I think that the values that these action movies are communicating are changing a little bit. Um, they're trying to talk more about like the violence in these movies is not an, is, is often not the end in and of itself. A lot of times it's, you know, um, they're trying to touch on themes of like, oh no, it's about inspiration. And, you know, that's what the Nolan Batman movies were trying to do was trying to make Batman more of a symbol of standing up for things as opposed to it's just about if you see something wrong with the world, punch it till it's right, which was maybe a more of a, you know, 80s style um action movie although 80 styles action movies like usually it wasn't like there's something wrong with the world and i have to shoot it until it's right it's more like uh oh the bad guys are coming for us we've got to defend what's ours whereas it's less about making the world a better place and more about like preventing the world from getting worse which you know kind of jives with the 80s milieu well and i think these things are a little bit delayed right like that's a very it, it does jive with that but then like late 90s action movies are all about like some conspiracy you know, from a a strange Soviet cell or kind of like what we would consider probably like a pre-terrorist cell, right? Like carrying out some scheme that has to be stopped by Nicolas Cage and his rugged <laughs> good looks, right? Like those are sort of the, the things that it is interesting, like the who the bad guys are, oh, I yes. think, are always a very interesting part of obviously, I mean, you're very wise, Steven Spielberg, for making your bad guys Nazis. Because <laughs> no no one can argue that Nazis are bad people. <laughs> well, you're right. Like in the 80s, it was terrorists. Right. Because that was on everybody's mind. And then in the 90s, it was more like conspiracies and, you know, like The Rock. Like that was a, uh, you know, rogue military unit mm-hmm. where, the, where the bad guys in The Rock. Um, so it was more like, you know, the enemy within, which is kind of interesting for the 90s. Um I, and I'm not sure if it was due to the Clinton impeachment scandals or maybe some kind of um, Iran-Contra hangover that was causing America to kind of distrust its institutions so much in the 90s. Because also all of this conspiracy stuff, I mean, the X-Files was huge. Um, so that's an interesting kind of cultural blip. But you're right. Like the bad guys in 90s action movies always came from within. But yeah. then you get into the 2000s. And, you know, into, you know, and now it's really like, oh, it's aliens. <laughs> <laughs> Giant robots. Yes. Giant monsters. Yeah. Um, Greg, I have a question for you, though. Sure. What's your what's your favorite late 80s action movie and your favorite late 90s action movie? Since that oh, seems to boy. be the eras we're talking about. Oh, boy. Ah, favorite late 80s action movie. And I'm assuming we're talking about like Western movies here. I can't I can't talk no, no, about no, you can't bring up any weeaboo shit. Come on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's that's rude. That's rude. oh I'm boy, rude. Rude. favorite Sorry. like eighties style action movie. Tough call. I mean, as a total package, I kind of feel like I have to go with one of the Indiana Jones movies. Fair. Um, maybe Last Crusade is my favorite of the Indiana Jones movies. Um, and then in the nineties, when things are just bonkers. 
<laughs> oh man. You know, one I haven't seen in a while, but I have strong uh, feelings for is the long kiss. Good night. Um, that was Samuel L. Jackson. And I can't remember who, who the, who the female lead was. Um, sexist. Wow. Yeah. I'm a real monster. <laughs> um, no, I mean, nineties action movie, Terminator two, Terminator two pinnacle of human I said, achievement. I said, I said, I said late nineties. That was what? That was like 96, right? Mm, Google it quickly maybe. while I think of something else. <laughs> All right. We'll, 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 uh, I'm trying to think about what mine are. So, I mean, I feel like it's a little bit of a cop out. Like, like Predator is like pretty top of my list for, you know, uh, just like pure action. But it's like it's it's a very. Okay, so Terminator 2 is 91, by Oof, the way. I was way wrong on that. Way off. I was like, that's <laughs> not right. Terminator, wait, yeah. So, I mean, Terminator 3 was only 2003. It's crazy. Um, so, no, you, like, it, right. I'm, I'm basically saying, like, what's your favorite Michael Bay film is what I'm asking you to pick. <laughs> um, boy, oh, boy. Um, I got to go with, uh, I got to go with The Rock on that one. Although, to be honest, my favorite late 90s action movie is the latest of 90s action movies, and that's The Matrix. Uh, it's just, I mean, I know that movie's kind of sweaty now, and the sequel's kind of ruined everything, but um, holy shit, the action in that movie is just unbelievable. Um, it's a very good movie. But yeah, I think The Rock is my favorite Michael Bay movie. Um, possibly one of his most regressive movies, because I'm pretty sure there's a Sean Connery line in there that's like, you'll try. Trying is for losers. Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. Like, I'm yeah. pretty sure that line is in that movie. You're you got it right, and you got the accent pretty good too. I'm not, was I doing uh, Bane or was I doing Sean Connery? <laughs> good question. Um, I I kind of want to say The Rock as well. I uh, but I actually I'm gonna go with Conair just because like it's just so silly, like the the pure concept of it, and just like but like. Nicholas Cage's character, you just like you just feel for him a little bit. You're like, yeah, man, you're just trying to come to your family. I get it. We're like Nicholas Cage's character in this. This reminds me of that Community episode where Nicholas Cage, good or bad, uh, drives Abed insane. <laughs> um, I, I feel like Nicholas Cage's character in The Rock is not really like you don't really identify them. He's just like some faceless. I mean, he's got some connection to everybody or whatever because you always have to have some sort of like tentative romantic connection to uh -huh. somebody, and it also happens to be. Sean Connery's daughter is that is that the plot? I forget. I don't remember. Who I don't knows? remember. That sounds like a Michael Bay shit. I could probably just like put random things together and probably a Michael Bay plot at this point. But um, I just felt that Connor had a lot of like big names in it. You know, like it yeah. had like Nicolas Cage. It, like, it had like a star studded and just like kind of dumb and kind of goofy. But as opposed to like I don't know, I kind of found like Face Off to be pretty like I don't know. That and, movie like, does all, not hold up. No, it does not hold up. And like all the Stallone stuff does not hold up. And like most of the Van Damme stuff does not hold up. I tell you, I tell you, because I was just thinking here about nine, the 90s action movies and how one of the, th the kind of the hallmarks of 90s action movies was just like insanity. And I think you could point to face off and be like, that's the high watermark of like 90s action movie insanity. But it's also bad movie. But there is a 90s action movie that I completely forgotten about till we had this conversation that I we can't finish this podcast unless I talk about it, and that is Desperado. Oh, that movie spawned a whole series. That movie, well, actually, it's the middle chapter of three, but um, yeah. that movie is 
bonkers. I was just re- rereading the plot synopsis because it's been a while since I or anyone has seen Desperado. But holy shit, that movie is insane and also has some phenomenal action. I think I've only seen, is that the middle chapter of the three? Yes. What year did that come out in? 95. Mm, I might have saw the third one. I forget. But yeah, well, did it have, movies Did are... it have an eyeless Johnny Depp in it? Okay, I saw that one. Then. That's yeah. the one you saw. That's the third one. Uh, yeah, so those movies are bonkers, but awesome. And I, one, one thing that I think that is different and we're getting off on a tangent here, but movies in the eighties and nineties period were so like lead based. Sure. And I guess it's like, that's semi true now. Like most times like, oh, the rocks in it. It's probably okay. <laughs> well, or like at best entertaining. I now think- like, I don't feel like it's quite as lead. Like that back then was like, like Van Damme movies were a genre. Right, like that wasn't like it wasn't like just like a part yeah. like that was that meant something like you knew exactly what you were getting into and you're like oh this movie's got John Connor Van Damme in it all right I'll rent it from Blockbuster and go home and put it in the, the movie tape because that's what I do. Well, so I think part of that was obviously that you know I think Schwarzenegger and Stallone um, and then Van Damme like they proved that you know if you've got a great action star like that's what you need in your movie. Like you're done. Like, and that was kind of following the model of like John Wayne, who might be a prototype uh, or Clint Eastwood prototypical, like action star where they yeah. carry the movie um, and where the, the lead becomes the brand. And then I think when you get into the nineties, you're seeing actors and you see, it, it's still lead based, but it's different because um, I think then you're seeing a lot of male actors who maybe don't have the acting chops um, or desire to be like traditional Hollywood leading man in, you know, comedies and dramas, uh, action star becomes a viable career path or a way to launch your career. So, you know, I think that's why you saw like Nicolas Cage when he tried to reinvent himself, like I'll be an action star. Um, I think that's kind of faded a little bit. Maybe that's because the focus has gone in more into franchises and those sorts of things. But I think you do see the rock as it's like, Oh no, it's the new rock movie. And, we're all kind of knowing like, yeah, I'm there to see, we all love to see the rock punch bad guys. Um, and he's the same character in every one and we, we get it, but I think it's more of a symptom of Hollywood has a leading man problem right now. And much has been written about that. Like, um, there aren't a lot of dudes out there who can like carry a movie just on the weight of their star power, the way it used to be, you know, 20 years ago where, um, you know, Mel Gibson is in the movie. We're going to go see that movie. Um, we just don't have those people anymore in Hollywood. And, you know, lots you have, I think you have um, women who can do that now are much more likely mm-hmm. to just carry a film. Um, but we don't have dudes who are doing that. And I don't know if that's a cultural thing or just, we just don't have the talent right now for that, but you're right. We don't have the kind of central action stars the way we used to. I mean, Statham, was there for like a glorious moment. You, you just knew if Jason Statham was in this movie, it was going to be great. And that kind of fell apart. But yeah, uh, and now he's doing like direct to movie stuff, like direct to DVD stuff. Yeah. Or Blu-ray, whatever. I, I think it's cultural more than it is talent. I think that a lot of people are, well, maybe a little bit of both. I think that a lot of them are sort of, you know, uh, like derivatives of past action heroes or they're very similar. I mean, I think there are some people who, once again, had a brief moment of time, like Matt Damon was 
kind of an action star for a little bit. Yeah. And now he's not. Yeah. And like Brad Pitt was like kind of an action star. And I guess it's like, I mean, he is Batman. Who, Brad Pitt? Sorry, Ben Affleck is Batman now. Is, he, like, is he though? <laughs> Are I, we sure question. about that? <laughs> We're not positive. Brad Pitt was like kind of an action star for a little bit. Now he's not. And like it, everyone's had kind of like their their couple movies they did in a row that were action movies. And but they didn't really last. Yeah. And like that might be to your point. But I was, I think it's, I think it is cultural. I think that we want we as a culture want somebody else, something fresh. And I think that also I think sometimes trends just play themselves out like you just can't have. I mean, Tom Cruise still makes Mission Impossible, Mission Impossible movies, right? Yep. Yeah. And but are we watching them because of Tom Cruise? Probably um, not. I Maybe look, a little bit. Honestly, but. I mean, if they made a Mission Impossible movie that didn't have Tom Cruise in it, I wouldn't see it. I really? mean, yeah. I mean, honestly, and I, I know I've said this on this podcast before, but Tom Cruise is a phenomenal action star. And actually, I still believe in Tom Cruise, the movie star. That guy, um, when he picks the right role, uh, he's got a lot of charisma and he has figured out how to play against type. And um, he he has a rare ability that I think is, is really key when we're talking about action movies is that dude looks great in motion. Like he sells action scenes very, very well. He like, um, he is a hundred percent believable in the scenes that he's in. And that's so key for an action star. And he does a great job. Like I, you know, there aren't a lot of Tom Cruise action movies. I have not seen the mummy where, um, they're outright bad. I mean, not every mission impossible has been great, but if there's a Tom Cruise action movie, that's bad. I don't think you can point to Tom Cruise and be like, Oh, he's the thing that was wrong. It's more like, boy, they built a, they built a dumb movie around a good action star. Yeah. I, I'm not, I wasn't pointing out that I think that Tom Cruise is a bad, cause I'm, I'm actually with you. I think Tom Cruise is fine. I think that, um, or more than fine, but I think that like, the people I would I was surprised that you said that you wouldn't wouldn't watch it because I think that the you know the action sequences and whatever else appeals to you about Mission Impossible wouldn't be totally tied up in Tom Cruise. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that his charisma and and his his you know his physicality in the action scenes are a big draw. I mean, that sounds really weird to say. Like, I just like to watch his body move, but you know, it's like. Um, <laughs> But it's true, you know, it's the same thing with, you know, with Schwarzenegger and Van Damme and Bruce Lee. Those guys just look great on film. Their physicality is part of the spectacle. Um, can you can, can you name your next punk rock band Tom Cruise's body? <laughs> I don't think I have. I don't think I don't think I don't think I can have another punk band. <laughs> you're a dad now. You can't make it. happen. Yeah, no. Oh, your next noise rock band. I sure. Know. Sure. Um, no, I, I hear you though. I, th- I hear what you're saying, but do you think, so last, last question before we wrap up, cause it's been a long one. Um, and we got a little off top. I mean, we're still no, on we topic. Didn't. We're talking we about just, action movies. We and, are. And we Tom Cruise's sweet, sweet body. Oh God, please stop. Um, <laughs> who, who's the next, like, who's the next rock? Like for us, like who's the next guy that's going to like keep, who's going to be the next leading man in action movies that takes us into like the next, like, Oh, I want to go see the next, insert actor name movie like we say about the rock or whoever because i'm not really sure because like you said everything's bound up in like franchises like i like to see i'm gonna i'm gonna quote i'm gonna miss you know like takes greg take greg's quote and and just like apply it erroneously 
I like to watch Chris Evans' body move. I like to watch Chris Hemsworth's bodies move. Like, but like I like those because like they're good actors and they're doing a good job. But like none of them have like broken out as like the next big action star. They're like the big Marvel star. Yeah, um, and it's tough. And it, it, part of that is because Marvel is snapping up everybody who you know could do cool shit like this. Um, Fair, but I think. Um, now, of course, I haven't seen Black Panther yet. Nobody has. But Michael B. Jordan, who plays Killmonger in that movie, um, I think he has the on-screen presence that it takes to be like, this guy could be like an action movie leading man. Like he just, you know, like, every, and I know it's just the trailers, but like every shot, he just looks awesome. Like, I'm like, I want to see him do stuff. I want to see what that guy does. Um, he's just got a lot of, he's got a great screen presence and, um, I think he can sell the action scenes. So I think there's a lot of, you know, he could be your next big action star. Does he have the kind of non-action charisma that, you know, your Tom Cruise or the rock has, uh, even Will Smith before he decided that he was too good to make action movies, um, had just like, they just, you just want to see that guy on screen. Like he's just fun to watch, fun to be around. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I think Michael B. Jordan could be good. I think, I honestly think Chris Hemsworth, like now that his contract is done, uh, with Marvel, um, I think he could do it if he doesn't feel like he's too old. I feel like that guy could just crank out action movies. He's charismatic. He, he looks great in action scenes. Um, he's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think he could, he could nail that, that same sort of role that a Nick Cage or a Mel Gibson pulled where like, you're an action star, but you're also really fucking funny. Yeah, I do think that well, a lot of these leading men have this problem where they're almost they're just well, but then again, I'm talking about Tom Cruise being one of my favorite action stars, but like just a little too pretty. Like I think that was one of the big draws of your John McClane or your Dirty Harry or your, you know, Riggs and Murtaugh in Lethal Weapon is like there was a little bit of an everyman quality to them. Yeah. Um I mean, I don't think that's necessary in your great action star. I mean, look at Schwarzenegger, look at The Rock. I mean, you know, The Rock is 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 no longer human. Like <laughs> that, there's nothing every man about him, but more machine than man. Yeah, more meat than man. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, and like, like you talk about current action stars, and you're like, oh, like Jai Courtney, Sam War, like these people, they all just blend together. So yeah so easily and it's like none of them stand out in any sort of significant way at all and you know i just think that there's some people that do and i i, I mean i would like to see what i really to harp on your black panther stuff not just because i'm excited i promise uh although i am very excited for the black panther movie because it looks awesome uh but i think chadwick boseman could do some really cool stuff like i mean they're saying that black panther is the marvel universe's james bond and I'm kind of just like, why don't we just make him the actual James Bond? <laughs> uh, because he, I think he could carry it. Ooh. I think that given the proper material, I think it's hard sometimes when you're trying to play like, I'm this guy trying to play an African, you know, prince from whatever, like you kind of get bound in by some of the some of the mechanics of the acting role. But I think that when you see him in interviews and stuff, he's got a lot of charisma. And I would like to see that that in a more expansive role. Mm hmm. So, hmm, well, did we solve action movies? I think we figured out what the point of action movies is. Um, it is about looking at pretty dudes running. Yeah. Right? I, oh, no, I, we're, all I, I got no, it was about was It was about 
it was about um it was about a communication of core cultural values disguised as smashy smashy explosion explosion it has nothing to do in hot dude bodies with hot <laughs> dude bodies <laughs> i can't i can't anymore look come on look let's confront it in the 80s we were all rushing to buy video cassettes that well rent them i guess where the cover was just a half-dressed arnold schwarzenegger covered in oil we knew what we oil, were getting blood let's, whatever the stuff they do to put like camo on their body let's stop pretending that there is not some homoerotic thrill involved in all of this it's fair yeah, it's fair. <laughs> i mean honestly i just i i was always a big fan of the harrison ford action movies because you know i always told shay if there was one man I'd leave you for, it's Harrison Ford. I'm not talking I'm not talking like 20, 30 year old Harrison Ford. I'm talking like right now. Like 79 year old, grumpy ass, plane crashing Harrison Ford. Like if he said, Come with me, I'd be like, All right. All right. That's we're going. You know, we're learning something about each other here. <laughs> I mean, I really thought you went in a different direction. I thought you were gonna say, like, you know, you were talking about like, oh not, and then I thought you were gonna say, Oh, not like current day Harrison Ford because he's a he's dusty old bones but like ooh, no, no, like no. last crusade like last crusade or you know Raiders or Harrison Ford I was like yeah I can go there with you but then you're like no I prefer the old wrinkly jerky version <laughs> no I didn't I didn't say I prefer <laughs> I just said that I would it's still I mean it's still like he smells like ointment top tier <laughs> <laughs> ointment gross no he smells like probably jet fuel because he just keeps crashing planes ointment, into the jet ground. fuel <laughs> and, and weed <laughs> <laughs> probably probably uh, <sighs> yeah so all right all right well i think that we does got, it for we us down a, i think we got a weird road <laughs> <laughs> i think we cracked the case <laughs> all right so we action movies are about harrison ford's jet fuel ointment weed covered body got it <sighs> Put case closed we're done let's pack it up call it a night <laughs> <laughs> all right guy i'll see you next week yeah Maybe. <laughs> <laughs>